This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me again this week, as always, is Matthew Rushing. Matthew, we had a big show last week with Dan joining us, of course, for Mission Gamma Twilight. So this week, we're going to go light. We're going to go into novella territory. That's right, uh, Chris. We're we're gonna talk about seasons of light and darkness, which I'm excited to get to. Uh, you know, it's it's a story about McCoy, uh, which for me is always a big plus uh, when we're talking about stories. So I'm really excited to have this this novella to be talking about. Um, I've I've really enjoyed the fact that um, Pocket has decided to to give us um, a little bit more flavor. Uh, and I think a great way to do it is these novellas, you know, Chris, the best part about these novellas is you can really read them in about one sitting, you know, you just, that's what I did at at most. I mean, it would take you one sitting really. I, you know, I read this over a day between my break and the train ride at work Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was fantastic. I loved it. I get a whole story, you know, in, in one day. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I just plopped down on the sofa and just read it straight through. And I, I just, I wanted to do it that way. I actually started getting hungry about three quarters of the way through the book. Yeah. But I said, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tough through this because I really, I don't want to break this story up. I want it to be like I'm watching an episode and just go straight through it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm glad we'll be able to, to get a chance to talk about it. Definitely. Well, before we do that, we have one news item today. It's a, a light news week for us. And this is about Christopher L. Bennett. And of course, Dan, who was with us last week, was able to talk to Bennett about Rise of the Federation, uh, Tower of Babel, and also a bit about the the next book in the series, Uncertain Logic. Yeah, Chris, this was uh, actually exciting to get to see uh, what Christopher L. Bennett was talking about. You know, we talked about Tower of Babel and, and what this this next book would be about you know uncertain logic and and we we saw the end credit scene basically for this book with with those space stations um coming kind of coming back into play and originally chris when we heard this we first thought this is going to be about vulcans well uh christopher well bennett has has said that obviously there's going to be a strong focus on vulcans uh, as well as the story thread produced in the post credit scene so I'm really thinking that maybe um, the Vulcans are going to have a lot to do with solving this problem of these these uh, you know sp- stations that that apparently are going to have more to do with what's going on and 
Right. Somehow I'm and sure we're they'll... talking about the stations from the Enterprise episode Dead Stop, these mysterious white repair stations. Right, exactly. And so um, what a great title, obviously, Uncertain Logic when dealing with an unknown technological marvel like these stations, as well as, Mm -hmm. you know, the Vulcans who have been uh, uncertain throughout the Enterprise timeline. And so I think it makes for a great title and I'm really excited to see this. Dan also asked if they had plans for another novel after Uncertain Logic. And he said that he he does have... um, some ideas for what can come after that. So I'm really excited. I hope this continues. The Enterprise series has been fantastic, and I hope we get plenty more books in this series. Definitely. Now, my question there would be, would it be under the Rise of the Federation heading beyond three books, or would it just be more Enterprise novels beyond that? Or would it morph into something different uh, as they move further along out of the Enterprise time period into the TOS time period? Well, that's a good question, Chris. Um, I, and I was thinking about that too, you know, because there's a lot of ways this could go, especially with, you know, we know that Archer becomes Federation president um, at some point in, in, in this history and timeline. So that's really interesting idea. Um, and I would love to see that play out, you know, where these other characters go. In fact, we also know from the end of the Romulan War book um, and the end credit sequence there that um, T'Pol and and uh, Trip actually end up together on Vulcan and they have children and he is pretending to be the gardener. They live their life together out there. And so getting to that point, you know, we know that there's a place they're moving towards. So I'd really be interested in seeing at least up until that point where it seems like T'Pol is, is um, uh, retired um, and I think that would be very interesting to get to that point in the storyline. There's a lot to happen, and, and you know, there's there's a lot of Federation to set up. <laughs> um, and so there's so much story that you can do, and I think I would I would really like seeing that. Definitely. And the one other item that we do have today is not really a new story. Just to let everyone know that Klingon Art of War is coming out this week. It's going to be out there. So if you've been waiting to find out just what this uh, unique book is about, you'll be able to get your hands on it. It's going to be available uh, in print as well as an ebook. I think I'm going to get the print one myself, though, Matthew. I this one, I, I just really want to see it in print. Yeah, um, I'm I'm thinking, Chris, this weekend I'm going to go. I needed to go to like a Barnes and Noble anyway, so I'm going to take a look at this, and I I, I definitely am going to be checking out. Um, that version, and I, I, there's a good chance I'll actually just pick that one up this weekend, because I think it would be more fun to have on the shelf. Yeah, it would, and of course, we're planning to have Keith on the show coming up to talk about it, and so it'll be great to see what's inside the book to get ready for that as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm excited to have Keith back. He's so much fun on the show. I think this is going to be a great book to be able to talk about. It's it's a lot of fun, this kind of pseudo-history <laughs> uh, philosophy of the Klingon Empire. And so um, I, I'm looking forward to, because I've seen some great artwork promos uh, and, and page layouts from this book, and it's really nice. So I'm excited to check it out. 
Yeah, same here. Same here. All right. Well, that's all we have in news today. Uh, before we jump into our feature discussion, we'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. As we tell you every week, they're the best source for audiobooks that you're going to find anywhere. They have over 150,000 titles on the site right now. It's probably actually, I'm betting, more like 155,000, 160,000 anyway, because they had hundreds of new books every single week. And we like to recommend a book to you every week because as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. And by doing that, of course, you're helping us bring the show to you every week. Matthew, the, the book I wanted to recommend this week because of what we're going to talk about in the feature today with Seasons of Light and Darkness being a McCoy story, I wanted to go back and recommend Shadows on the Sun, the book by Michael Jan Friedman, which is about McCoy as well. And I think the storyline has some similarities to the novella that we're going to talk about here, and it's narrated by James Dewan. It's a really great book. What, what can you tell people about Shadows on the Sun? Well, uh, Chris, we have talked about Shadows of the Sun, uh, so you can uh, you can check that out. Um, but I love this book; it's a fantastic book. Um, really gets into um, the uh, backstory for McCoy, um, his uh, one of his love interests. It it goes in really deep uh, to his character, and it's one of my favorite Star Trek books. Um, really is that, that that's why we talked about it in, in one of our first podcasts Chris so I highly recommend this book I, I don't think you can go wrong and what better way to get it than on audible definitely yeah so go pick it up like I said you can get it for free as a Trek FM listener and go through it listen to the book and then go back to literary treks episode 21 and you'll find our discussion about this book on there. So it'll be a great way for you to prep for that show if you've never heard it. Uh, and then go and find out what Matthew and I have to say about the book. The way you get the book for free is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up. Choose that book, or you can choose any book you want, absolutely free. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that free book. But if you love reading, if you love podcasts, I know you're going to love Audible. You're going to love audiobooks. If you're already getting them from another source, from iTunes, or if you're doing like I used to do back in the day and you're buying them on well, it wouldn't be tape anymore, but but you can still buy them on CDs in the bookstores and then you know rip those into your iTunes. It gets kind of messy with so many discs. Audible is a great, nice, neat way to get them and save a whole lot of money at the same time. So go check it out, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of Literary Treks and the network. Well, Chris, as we already said, we're really excited to be talking about Seasons of Light and Darkness by Michael A. Martin tonight. And um, this book is is really interesting. Uh, it takes place uh, in a couple of different time periods. The main beginning time period is right before the Enterprise goes on its training mission in Star Trek II. And then it travels all the way back in time before the cage. Uh, at one yeah, of it goes back 31 years, yes. actually. Which is one of um, McCoy's first missions uh, as a doctor, which was really fascinating to me um, because we're really getting to that point where McCoy has um, had about a year away from his wife uh, and his, his daughter, Joanna. Um, he's really suffering and it gets him off planet. You know, all he had left with his bones. And so that's really the setup here I thought was really interesting. So I kind of wanted to get into that first, Chris. One the setup of the book, it's a lot like 
uh, I hate to say it because it's the episode that shall not be named for me, but these are the voyages. It's very similar to that. Yeah, you you feel that way because it's a flashback. Um. Yeah, it's a fl- it, it because the well, it's not just a flashback, but the the setup of the story is. Because they're trying they're, to figure out how to handle a situation. Exactly. There, and so like Riker was with the Pegasus. Exactly. Okay. So yeah. it's very much the. It's honestly the exact same setup. Um, and so I, yeah. when I first got that, I was like, oh no, uh, let's let's not go there. Um, but uh, yeah, what did you think, Chris? How, d- does it work for See, you? I didn't. I didn't take it that way. Uh, now that you point it out. I see exactly what you're talking about, but but I didn't feel that way at all. I think because they weren't using a holodeck, you know, to watch historical records, and and it made more sense to me, I guess, the idea that McCoy, a drunk McCoy, I guess I would have to say, I don't know if a sober McCoy would have done this, but that a drunk McCoy would leave Kirk's quarters or apartment and go find Spock and try to seek advice from Spock because of the relationship that the three of them had together. Instead of it just being Riker talking to Troy about, you know, well, how should I handle this thing with with my old Captain John Locke here? It made more sense to me McCoy going to Spock. So I, I actually never even thought about that. I never connected those two ideas. Okay. Well, that's good. I, I mean, it. Uh, it means yeah. they uh, did what they were supposed to. Um, and, uh, you know, Michael A. Martin is uh, part of the writing team that actually uh, basically rewrote what happened in These Are the Voyages with um, – uh, the good that men do. And so I just thought it was an interesting that he took that setup idea and in some of those ways and made it actually work. Um, this is what, you know, you kind of yeah, expect, he did make it work you here, know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think it completely works there. And so I, it, it does work. Now I'll say, I noticed on Goodreads that you gave this book four stars, right? And I gave it three, although for me, it's more like three and a half. I think that the setup, the concept that he has here works and feels natural to me and the way it starts and the way it ends works. The story in the middle for me was somewhat engaging, but it didn't grab me as much as some other stories have and and maybe even as much as Shadows on the Sun did, which we just recommended in our news segment as as an audible purchase and that we've covered here on the show before, another great bone story. Well, I, I rated it four because I couldn't give it a three and a half um, like okay, you. So we were in the same it, place. Exactly. I just went under yep, and you went over. Exactly. Yeah. That's okay. the that's the downfall of the Goodreads rating system. Um, and so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would have given it a three and a half. I, I, I think it's a solid story. It's a good story. And what I like about it is that it really does a great job, I think, of, of adding to the mythos of, of McCoy and why he's so unhappy. Um, yeah. you know, it, it, because it, it helped to me to see that, um, you know, McCoy, it wasn't just what happened with his wife, Jocelyn and, and his daughter, Joanna, 
but it was also this this thing where he betrayed who he was as a as a person like McCoy is a healer and and, and he betrayed that um for supposedly the good of the federation but you know that that damage in his character follows him for a very long time um and and that's the crux of the issue is why he's telling spock this story because he doesn't want to see that happen jim um and i i thought that that was i mean it's just the heart of mccoy i mean under that cynicism and, and bravado is a man who really cares and feels very deeply um, for the people around him and uh, I, I that is what I really like and I also thought it adds to the wrath of Khan um, in a really interesting mm-hmm. way to see that um, you, you see bits and pieces of this from Nick Meyer's script and the way that the characters played especially Bones and Spock that you feel like they're they're feeling there's something wrong with their friend Mm-hmm. And so it was great to get this basically, I felt like, a a extra scene, you know, that was just missing from the movie that had been cut. Yeah, it does feel like that. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, to me, I'll be thinking about this now when I watch The Wrath of Khan, you know, uh, because it references all the things, you know, Jim getting the book from Spock. It references, uh, obviously, the book starts off with McCoy coming to the door um at at uh, Kirk's house and giving him the glasses and the and the raw and ale and uh it's after yeah. leaving there that he he goes to Spock's to talk about how right. worried he is about Jim so when i started in reading it i felt like okay so we're just replaying something that we already know that it's already a very short book to start with and we're just going to replay stuff we already know so then when then when he left and he went to see Spock. I'm like, okay, all right, now we're getting into something. And in retrospect, as I said a moment ago, I, I like that it starts that way, even though I already know. I mean, it's it's almost like a word-for-word replay of the scene from The Wrath of Khan. But it does transition into something good. Well, and I think it it was important for it to do that so that you could feel like you were inside that story. And then as they expand, as Martin expands that story, I think it really works um, because it feels very natural. In fact, the writing, um, it, it, it sounds like it's part of the script. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. the masterful work I think he's doing. And, and that's why I was like, I can't just give this a three. It needs to be like a three and a half. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'll give it a four because I don't feel like it deserves just to be a three um, because of that work that he did, I thought was really good. Yeah. So when we move into the story, when we get into the the flashback of what Bones is explaining to Spock happened to him in the past 31 years ago, Martin takes us to a very interesting event. He takes us back to the planet Capella. And if you remember from the original series in Friday's Child, there was the, the issue of mining rights for the Federation, for Capella. And they talk about another planet called Altamara and the dwindling topoline supply. And that's what is, it's sort of the, it's, it's 
it's not really the centerpiece of the story, but it's the reason why they're there. And it's the reason, this idea that it's very, very important for the Federation because within decades, they're going to run out of this uh, material and they need to get it from the Capellans. And therefore, that sort of ties McCoy's hands in terms of what he can do as a doctor. That's what you know puts him into this sort of ethical quandary here. Yeah, um, I thought that this was really interesting. One... Uh, because we uh, know a famous Capellan, uh, Admiral Akaar, who we just talked right. about. Uh, we just and, talked about exactly, yeah. and he talks about in that book about how the ten tribes are still warring on his planet. So yep. this is a planet that has never joined the Federation because of that, um, and uh, it's very interesting to see that thirty-one years before McCoy joins the Enterprise, the Capellans are this very primitive planet. They grow a lot, apparently, uh, very quickly, it seems like, uh, to by, you know, the 24th century to have them be um, somebody um, where one of them can join Starfleet. So, right, uh, and be an admiral. Exactly, exactly. And so uh, I think it's I think that's really interesting. And, and I think the the ethical quandary that that McCoy and Starfleet are dealing with here of the prime directive uh, and bending the prime directive because of the needs of the Federation. Like we're going to, we're going to break the rules because we need it. It's, it's a really interesting thing to see um, because they're, they're basically saying we're going to do this because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. So, it's a really interesting idea of a lot of different Star Trek philosophies all kind of coming together and, and colliding to create the, the the quandary that McCoy finds himself in. Yeah. Well, it also shows that at that point on the timeline, the Federation was definitely open to taking this sort of approach. They're kind of playing fast and loose with the prime directive a bit here. It's It's very much like, this is the prime directive, and then there are a bunch of footnotes that are like, well, unless we're running out of a natural resource and someone else has it, and maybe we can give them select technology and medical aid. And then we're not really violating our own rules, even though we really are. Uh, it, it's definitely the way that we as humans and as governments today treat things. You know, our approach to one country our reaction to something that they're doing will be completely different than the approach we'll have to a different country, just purely depending on our relationship with them and what sort of resources or, or other things they have that are of value to us uh, turn out to be. And, and I think the Federation, as much as we want to see it as idealistic and you know, utopian, this still carries through to the 24th century and certainly the case here in the 23rd century. Yeah, and I think that that was what was really interesting for me uh, is when's it okay? Is it okay to break that rule just because it's, I guess, convenient and and we really really need it? You know, like are the rules only meant to be followed when it's easy? And that was the the thing I saw the Federation doing here is that it's convenient for them to break the rules 
and um, it's easier for them to do this than to go out and search for more toppling around in the galaxy. And I was kind of disappointed in the Federation, honestly, to, to, to see them be able to just so easily bend their rules because it was convenient. But but do you think this is a question about the prime directive here and following the rules, though? The rules are great, but should they hold fast to the rule, even if it meant that many people within the Federation would die? If and we don't get into so much detail, like exactly what's going to happen if they don't have this topoline, but let's say topoline is rare and it might take them a century to find another source of it in the galaxy. We have to remember that in reality, planets are very, very far apart from one another out there in space. And they know that the resources here, time is short. Um, you know, the fuse is lit and there's going to be a disaster. And for the, for the good of the Federation and all the people in the Federation, they can provide medical assistance to the Capellans they can try to help the Capellan society along a bit, and they can get the Topoline. Is it wrong for them to make this decision and, and violate the Prime Directive in this way? Well, it already did seem like the Capellans have some idea that they're not the only people in the galaxy. Well, sort of, but then they have this idea. I mean, yeah. it's it's very much a, a, a parallel of Christianity here where they have the father and the son and they've actually named their binary stars after the two of them. And they just let people die. Like if someone gets injured, they just put them in a tent and then they wait for their God to make a decision of whether this person is going to live or die. And then they shine any sort of medical attention. Well, and, and yeah, uh, that's what I couldn't figure out is just how much the Capellans knew about the galaxy. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least they don't seem freaked out that there are people from them, you know, uh, uh right. you know, not their yeah. planet. So, right. um, and, and that made it a little bit more palpable. I mean, for me, for them to think about bending the prime directive with these people, because they obviously have some idea that they're not alone in the universe. And that's a big deal. Um, in Star Trek, because the, the people that do think that is just crazy. Uh, you don't want to mess with them. We see what happens with that, like in TNG with the Watchers, um, how, how oh, much yeah, that messes yeah. with the society. So, well, and even in First Contact, the episode First Contact, where they they are developing space travel, but even with that technology, they're not ready. The society isn't ready yet for the revelation that they're not alone. Yeah, um, and I, I really think. Um, I think the Federation at this point, you know, they're they're doing something they don't want to be doing, but they do feel like they maybe don't have a choice. Uh, I guess if, if we felt like we knew more about the situation, that might be helpful. But McCoy is not giving mm-hmm. us all of that um, because the main thing for him is not about that issue. That's just a great issue to, to discuss. The main issue for him is about these choices that we make and and mm-hmm. uh, these choices that um, they they we either make choices that make us better versions of ourselves or or really stifle who we are. 
um, we choose against who we really are. Um, and it kind of brought the idea that, you know, that, that to thine own self be true quote, you know, from, from Shakespeare and, you know, Bones chooses a, about being either a healer or a Starfleet officer. And he chooses in this situation to be a Starfleet officer. And it kind of easily. No, 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 easily no. Oh, no, no, not at all. It, 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 it's it's a it is a decision that we see has kind will basically crush him for a long time with the weight and the guilt of it. And it's forced upon him actually. So I didn't so much see it as him making that decision himself, but, but it's sort of like the live to fight another day. You know, he, he realizes that to help people in the long run, this is one battle that he, he's not going to win. And so it's better to maintain his career as a doctor. Right. Exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, um, it is, again, a decision, though, that really uh, fall, haunts him. It haunts him yeah. for years and years and years. And I, I thought that this was really interesting because, you know, they are trying to help Kirk not make a decision that will haunt him as well. Well, McCoy is. Spock is sort of like, what's this all about anyway? Yeah. Well, and, 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 and this was the, this is where it comes to in the end. And I, what I really love it. And you can just hear DeForest Kelly saying this and, you know, damn it, Spock. I don't want what happened to me to happen to Jim as well. McCoy said, gestulating at at the spent bottle he had leaning forward right now. He's facing the same crisis I did in my first mission to Capella. He's refusing to be true to what his best destiny commanding a starship and that, you know, Kirk has convinced himself in 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 uh, the Wrath of Khan that he's too old. Ga- you know, gallivanting around the galaxy is uh, is for the young. Um, and, and McCoy can see how that's destroying his his friend, but also, I mean, Kirk is is Kirk. <laughs> he's he's yeah. the one that you call on when when you when you the Federation is in trouble. He's the one that comes out of the unwinnable situation with a win. And, and McCoy knows this. And, and I think this was the thing uh, that uh, really works well in this book is is watching the interplay between these guys. And um, these guys literally kind of move heaven and earth for each other. Mm-hmm. And it, there's also some basis in here for why why they feel that way. There There is the background about how... Bones came to be Kirk's chief medical officer. And there's even a reference to Piper and Piper is leaving the ship and all, but they talk about the Farragut's encounter with half a dozen pirate vessels nine years uh, before that. And before they uh, set out on the the five-year mission and that uh, Kirk was an incident at the time and he was barely, barely alive they took him to Starbase Seven's infirmary, and then uh, McCoy was. Well, Kirk was very impressed with McCoy's no whining approach to medicine, and that's when when Kirk needed a chief medical officer. Then they brought uh, he he called on McCoy to come in and come to the Enterprise, which I thought was really really cool because uh, what it is is at the very end, um, you know, Kirk. And McCoy are having the conversation 
about um you know whether he would come to the uh the enterprise and McCoy is worried about having to make the choice again between being a Starfleet officer and being a healer. And um, Kirk says, Dr. McCoy, you have my word as a Starfleet officer. I'll never do that to you, basically. That is not a choice that I will ever make you have to make. Mm -hmm. And McCoy says, okay, I'm in. And um, again, I think it's a really well-done character scene to see how these guys from the beginning really understand each other um it, it's uh it, i it just it's it's fantastic i love these short character pieces where we're getting um bits and pieces of who these guys are and, and giving us a deeper understanding and, and again i really feel like this adds so much to the wrath of khan and just um their relationship in general throughout the original series um and i love it because you know they they are the core of the original series and um you know just wish the original series had been written less like an anthology sometimes because yeah. uh i would have loved to have gotten just um just more of this yeah yeah how how did you like the bachelor portion of this book where they're at the the party at the capellan party and uh, they're, you know, they notice all these these women come in, and I actually laughed out loud at this. <laughs> it was so funny. I think Martin did a great job with this writing of this guy Hook, H U U K, however you want to pronounce it, Hook, who comes up when there's this Capellan woman who's coming on to Bones, and Bones is like, okay, you know, not me. So then, then the the other officer with him there. Uh, takes fruit out of the basket and eats the fruit. And then this giant capellan comes over, comes over to him and starts to attack him. And then he says, now I must resume bestowing my gift of combat upon you. It's like, this is my gift to you, the gift of combat. And I have to continue it. I thought that that was an awesome scene. And I loved the way that, um, that Bones gets out of that by hiding the hypo <laughs> yes. spray up his sleeve yeah. and he yeah. rips off his his you know his shirt sleeve there and jabs it back at the guy's neck like it was fantastic it was very <laughs> funny the best part of that was when spock asks him it is spock i think right who asks yes, him yes. when he's telling the story like how did you calculate the correct dosage he says i i'm a doctor you know i made my best guess or whatever. <laughs> that's what i i always think about bones in the original series on the tv series how he'll just eyeball it like they need an elixir and he like mixes some stuff together that looks about right here drink it yeah he does that a lot and one of the coolest things i, I notice about bones when you're watching the original series is you do feel like he has this intrinsic understanding of alien physiology and yeah. medicine and all of those things and it works really really well um to me and it never comes off as just like he's guessing it feels like no he's taking everything he knows about being a doctor and and all that he knows about different aliens and what he's learning from his tricorder he's putting it all together and it, it he's really good at what he does he makes it seem effortless he's so good he doesn't need technology exactly exactly and i i think that's one of the things that i feel like makes bone such a great doctor is he makes the medicine look effortless as good doctors usually do yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. The 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 scene here, one the reason I said it's like The Bachelor though is that uh, McCoy. It says Leonard McCoy felt sure that everything he didn't know about Capellan culture could fill a good sized library. However, he was certain of one thing: that the evening's marriage sweepstakes had produced no clear winner and possibly not even a viable runner-up. And I made a note: no rose. <laughs> this is the Capellan version of The Bachelor. That was that. Oh my gosh, that whole scene was just so well done, and you weren't expecting that. Like something so funny to be in this right, story. It, yeah, in the yeah. middle of this book. And I laughed out loud yeah. a number of times. Yes. And I don't laugh out loud when I'm reading very much at all, but I really did with this. Yeah, it's it's really well done. Um I, I really enjoyed it. The other line, take it, Earthman, the warrior rumbled, sounding almost amiable. You will need a good stout weapon to properly appreciate the gift of combat. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like having a big-ass sword shoved in my hand that you can hardly lift and try and defend yourself. And then, and then he says, whatever bizarre cultural practice was playing out here evidently trumped sub-tier Usak's strict no-weapons-for-the-guests policy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, oh, goodness. It, it just is really well done. So, um... I guess Chris, uh, you know, final thoughts on on the book. What did what did you end up um, coming away with? And and uh, yeah, uh, how would you rate this book? Well, I guess my final thoughts on it are that it's it's a nice little character piece for McCoy. It does what we like about the literature, which is that it fills in a blank in the Star Trek story. And as you said early on here. It's like a missing scene from The Wrath of Khan. And because it's a novella, it's 104 pages in print, if I'm correct. I have it in iBooks, but I think it's 104 pages in print. It really is compressed to the point where you you could see like if The Wrath of Khan were 20 minutes longer, half an hour longer, there would be this scene where McCoy goes off and he talks to Spock. And then we end up on the ship. And we move forward with the story and Kirk gets his command of the Enterprise back in in this own unique way that it happens there. And we just talked about the funny moments there on Capella. But what happens on Capella for the most part is, is quite serious. And I think it all comes down to what, what Bones talks about. It's hierarchy over Hippocrates. That's what he, he tells Kirk when when Kirk says, Bones, what the devil are you talking about? And he says, I'm talking about hierarchy over Hippocrates, Jim. I will never do that ever again. And he's talking about making that decision that kind of compromises his values. And the whole point of the story is that he's so concerned about Jim Kirk and he sees that Kirk is losing what makes Jim Kirk, Jim Kirk. And he doesn't want to see his friend, probably his best friend in the universe, you know, fall into that place because he knows how hard it is when, when you lose all of these things. And the, the story in this very, very, very short uh, number of pages does a great job of giving you a really serious issue, both on a personal level for McCoy, an issue for the Federation, as we talked about with the Prime Directive, 
and gives you a lot of lighthearted moments at the same time. Um, and I think comes to a really satisfying ending. And as for rating it, um, I'm actually going to give this book. So, you know, our ratings are on who knows what scale here. So I'm going to give <laughs> it, I'm going to give it seven strong shocks from a Capel and power cat, because that's what happens in the book that actually creates a medical crisis for bones to deal with in the first place. And, uh, as I said earlier, and we talked about our Goodreads ratings, and I gave it a three because I couldn't give it a three and a half. Um, I, I didn't feel like the story really engaged me as much as some other novellas have. But I think the setup and the ending are good, and it does add to Bones and the Wrath of Khan. So overall, definitely worth a read. Chris, I'm I'm with you. Um, I I think this is is uh I think I probably liked it just a little bit more than you, but I I really like this novella. Um, honestly, Chris, because I I think the idea of of what they're struggling with, what what McCoy is struggling with, what Kirk is struggling with, how they're trying to help their friend resonates with all of us. You know, we we have these things in our lives where we have made decisions that kind of um harm the real us we've we've stifled who we are we've we've stifled like our creativity or 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 our thought process or something like that um either to make somebody else happy or or do what we think might be the right thing or just because we're afraid um and the idea of of what is our best destiny and 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 making sure that we're living up to all that we're meant to be um uh, for ourselves and for for those around us, our friends, our family, and all that kind of stuff, um, I think is is fantastic. And so, uh, I I really like this book. Uh, and like you, I think it adds a tremendous amount to the Wrath of Khan, uh, the characters of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Uh, McCoy being my favorite Star Trek character. Um, and, uh, I, I'm really glad that, 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 that we got this novella. And so I'm going to give this, uh, eight Capellan bachelorettes. Ooh, nice. All right. Just make sure none of those Capellan warriors, uh, see you doing that because they might bestow the gift of combat upon you. All right. Well, there you go, everyone. A much shorter literary treks than usual. A light news week combined with the novella means uh, we're going to have you out of here well under an hour this week. But I hope you enjoyed the show. And the Seasons of Light and Darkness was a great story, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Star Trek 2009 5th Anniversary. So I wrote a whole big thing about all that stuff. Where's Gary Mitchell? Why are there Romulans? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and why is Tyler Perry in this movie? Earl Grey. Ferengi. Uh, can I have a root beer, please? <laughs> <laughs> They're all examples of Ferengi. Dad. Not being Ferengis, so... Sorry, that was a terrible, terrible knock. <laughs> Earl Grey, now with 90% more Ferengi impersonations. <laughs> The Orb. Great O'Brien episodes. You know, obviously, too, I, I love the fact that, that Miles is not afraid to kind of bend the rules and, and do what he thinks is right. The Ready Room. The sound of her voice. 
it's a masterful portrayal of the working class hero kind of thing that O'Brien is without making me feel, you know, uh, guilty and, and, with, and without coming across as too heavy handed. To the journey! Darkwing Rewrite. It's that awkward moment when you accidentally call your teacher mom in class. I hate to tell you, but I don't know if I ever did that. Yeah, no, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, dude. Warp 5. Flocks. And you see that, I think, in in the way that he cares for his patients and he takes care of them with what we would consider very strange remedies. And yet, he's taking care of the whole person, and I really, really like that. Commentary, Trek stars. Without Rushmore of Trek. No, I mean, in all seriousness, like, Chris, every time that you make a joke about Robin Leffler, I myself think, yes, he's right. Oh, wait, he's making a joke. Oh, that's too bad. Because he's right. Continuing mission. Star Trek Horizon. The main reason I wanted to do the movie was to close out storylines that Enterprise didn't get a chance to. I felt like it was kind of my contribution to the show that meant a lot to me. Literary Treks. Mission Gamma Twilight. I don't think that Bashir knows how to be in a mature relationship. When Ezri starts exerting her own identity more, he doesn't know how to deal with that. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You'll find them in a wide variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune. We're now on Spreaker as well. We're also on BlackBerry. You'll find us in the Libsyn and Blueberry directories and many other places as well. Uh, Go to our website. You can stream. You can grab the RSS feed there as well. Drop it into your favorite podcatcher and uh, have our shows wherever you are. While you're over on iTunes, be sure to visit our artist page where we're now organizing our content into different subject areas. It's a great way for you to find our past content. We have almost a thousand episodes here on the network now, getting very close to it. Lots of great book discussions, interviews with authors, as well as talk about all the different Star Trek series, science, and all kinds of things waiting for you there. You can get there quickly by just going to itunes.com slash trekfm. And while you're over there, if you enjoy the show, leave us a star rating and a written review. We love to hear from you, and it helps other Star Trek book fans find literary treks as they're searching the iTunes store. Now, if you'd like to send us some feedback on today's show, you can do that in a variety of ways. You can go to our website at trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show. Choose Literary Treks, and that'll come to both Matthew and me by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website. If you go to the show page for this episode, in the left sidebar, you'll see a large item that says send us voicemail. Click that. Use your webcam's microphone to record, and you can upload it to us right there from the page. We also have forums at trek.fm slash forums, and you'll find us in social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, on Twitter under username trek.fm, and we also have a new Google Plus community for the network, and that URL is impossible for me to read to you on the air, but if you're on G+, go over there and check it out, or go to our website, and you can use the G+, link on there to hop right on over. All right, Matthew, so when you're not enjoying a bottle of Romulan ale with Dr. McCoy talking about how much you wish Kirk would stop moping around, where can people find you? Well, Chris, uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, MattRushing02. Uh, you can also find me on The Orb when we talk about Deep Space Nine. 
uh, all the time. And then, of course, uh, I do have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you're not sharpening your very large sword for your next Capellan bachelorette fight, uh, where can we find you? (laughs) It's very important, you know, because they love the gift of combat over there on Capella. Now, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username and on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, besides doing the orb with you, Matthew, you can find me on Warp 5, which is all about Enterprise, Continuing Mission, which is about fan films, Matterstream, which is about science, social issues, and other things inspired by Star Trek. And then, of course, I host The Ready Room every week together with other hosts from all across the network and special guests. And we talk about Star Trek news and all five live action Star Trek series on that show. Before we let you go, we'd like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. So go pick up Shadows on the Sun, which we talked about in news today, or any book you like, absolutely free. You just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You get to keep that free book, but I know you're going to love Audible if you're listening to podcasts. And as I said in news, if you're getting your audiobooks from another source right now, go check out Audible because they have the best selection and the best prices. They also have fantastic apps for your smartphone and tablet. Makes it really easy for you to enjoy your audiobooks wherever you are. Again, that's at audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.